you got cooking? How about cooking something up with me? Let's stir it up, boys. Welcome to the Boyd Seafood Outdoor Cooking Show. A weekly excursion into the fine art of preparing the world's most popular recipes under an open sky and an open flame. Boyd's One Stop is located at the base of the Texas City Dyke. Now, here's the old grill sergeant, Randy Hayes. Let the high holy days of Texas history continue. And make no mistake, that's exactly what we're going to do on this installment of the Boyd Seafood Outdoor Cooking Show. And without apology, I might add, look, I'm a proud native Texan. I even have a coffee cup with those words printed on the side, native Texan. I was born and reared in Fort Worth, and I've lived in Houston for over 40 continuous years now. Plus, I've lived in several other parts of the state, too. Yeah, obviously, I spent my younger years in North Texas, Dallas-Fort Worth. But I was stationed at Fort Hood in Central Texas for about nine months during my stint in the Army. And I also lived in El Paso in far west Texas for a year with my wife, Cindy. Heck, I met and courted her in her hometown of Shreveport, which might as well be in deep east Texas. But of course, technically, it's not. You know, the only two parts of the state I haven't really lived in are the Rio Grande Valley and the Panhandle. So I feel like I'm about as Texan as you can get. Heck, I even still root for the Texans, and they suck. <laughs> but I tell you all that so that maybe, just maybe, you'll tolerate my obsession with Texas history, especially at this time of year, the high holy days of Texas history. Certainly, Texas history didn't begin with the Texas Revolution, nor, for that fact, did Texas history end with the Texas Revolution. But you can't deny that the Texas Revolution is the defining moment in Texas history. Well, stop and think about it. Without the Texas Revolution, practically everybody in Texas would speak Spanish. Wait, practically everybody in Texas does speak Spanish, don't we? Yeah, just forget I said that. Olvida que dije eso. Well, of course I looked it up. I cut Spanish class in college. What do you mean? Google Translate is your friend. Yeah, all kidding aside, but I'm only slightly kidding. We Texans have always been very proud of our history and our heritage, and rightfully so. You know, I remember John Schneider, one of the stars of the old TV show, The Dukes of Hazard. He appeared on the Hudson and Harrigan show back in the 80s, and I asked him on the air, what do you think of Texas? And he said something like, well, it's really cool, but boy, you Texas people are just way over the top proud of your state. I almost said you got a problem with that, cowboy? <laughs> but I restrained myself because I didn't want to be that guy, you know. But I did think it. I'll admit that much. What I actually did say was something like, well, we have a lot to be proud of. And Schneider quickly added, oh, yeah, you sure do. Because he didn't want to be that guy either. <laughs> I mean, the last thing he wanted to do was say something on the most popular early morning radio show in the biggest city in the state that would make Texans mad, right? So he backtracked pretty quickly. The fact is, we Texans do have a lot to be proud of, and it all starts with our history. After all, Texas is the only state in the Union that was an internationally recognized republic before it became a U.S. state. Now, California and a couple of other states declared themselves republics at one time or another in their history, but only the Republic of Texas was officially recognized as a sovereign nation by other countries. That speaks to the power behind the name Texas. We Texans love to brag. <laughs> Just ask John Schneider. And one of our biggest boasts has always been everything's bigger in Texas. But you know, to a certain extent, that's not braggadocio. There are facts to back up everything's bigger in Texas. Well, for instance, Texas used to be the biggest state in land area until Alaska was brought into the Union. Texas is 268,596 square miles in size, second only to Alaska. And soon, global warming will melt a lot of Alaska's ice, and Texas will be number one again. <laughs> oh, stop it. You know I'm just kidding. But I'm only slightly kidding. Because how do we know what's really under all that ice in Alaska? Come on, it might just be water or something, you know? Anyway, 
Texas also has a population of over 25 million, and that's second only to California. Plus, with all the people who are moving here from California, it won't be long before Texas is number one in that, too. <laughs> Just kidding. Slightly. Here's one without any caveats. Texas has the largest state capitol building in the United States. And that's just so we'll have enough headroom for all those massive egos in Austin. And we also have the highest speed limit, 85 miles an hour. You'd think it's out in far west Texas where there aren't many cars and there aren't many traffic cops. But you'd be wrong if you thought that. And don't feel bad if you did, because I did too. No, it's actually on a stretch of road between Austin and San Antonio. You know, that says something about how fast people want to get out of Austin or San Antonio. I don't know which, and I don't know what, but it definitely says something. But just because everything's bigger in Texas doesn't always mean everything's better in Texas. Well, the adult obesity rate is bigger than any other state. It's got to be all that barbecue, right? And Mexican food that Santa Ana left behind. <laughs> At least El Presidente did something right, because we Texans do adore our Mexican food. Oh, and one more bigger that isn't necessarily better. Texas emits more than twice as many greenhouse gases as any other state. And that's just from Dan Patrick alone. <laughs> and I can say that because Dan Patrick and I have been friends since the 80s. No, the 1980s, not the 1880s, you smart aleck. And Texas could have been even bigger. Did you know that? I didn't. But according to the Texas Historical Commission, when Texas was still an independent country, we attempted to expand south and west into what was, at the time, Mexico. Uh, Bob Brinkman, he's the coordinator of historical markers for the state. Bob Brinkman said that there were several expeditions and skirmishes and battles in that area. It's what we call in modern day the state of New Mexico. But nothing ever came of them. Even after we joined the United States, Texas still believed that we might be given about 67 million acres of the territory of New Mexico. But we accepted $10 million in cash from the U.S. government in exchange for the land as part of the Compromise of 1850. Yeah, I had to look it up. It had to do with the balance of free and slave states. Yeah, slavery is still the most horrific part of our Texas history. But on a more positive note, here's one more point of pride for Texans. There have been two native Texans elected president of the United States, and neither one of them has the last name Bush. Nope, both Bush presidents were born in New England. Not that I'm ashamed of either one of the Bush presidents. They're full-blooded Texans as far as I'm concerned. I voted for them both, twice. No, in different elections, you smart aleck. You've really got an attitude problem today, don't you? Actually, most Texans know at least one of the two native Texans who became president, Lyndon Johnson. He was born near Johnson City, Texas, and yes, it was named for his family. But you might not know the other one. It was Dwight Eisenhower, who was born in Denison, but his family moved to Kansas when he was a toddler. In fact, Eisenhower didn't even return to the state of Texas until he was stationed in San Antonio as a second lieutenant in the Army, right out of West Point. But if you count the two Bush family presidents, Texas is tied with Massachusetts for fourth on the list of states that have produced the most presidents. We're tied for fifth without them, by the way. Oh, and just for the record, New York is number three with five. Ohio is number two with seven. And Virginia is number one with eight. But all those guys wore powdered wigs, so they don't count. And all of those things that I just pointed out simply scratch the surface of Texas history. That's why we Texans are so proud, Mr. Schneider. So today on the Boyd Seafood Outdoor Cooking Show, we're going to continue our radio review of the high holy days of Texas history. And as I promised on last week's show, we'll do that by visiting with our old friend and Texas history authority, Nick Kesselberg, who just also happens to be an accomplished chef with special expertise in Texas culinary history. Actually, food played a major role in the outcome of the Texas Revolution. Did you know that? Yeah, Santa Ana's supply lines ran a little short. 
So you should stick around. You might learn something. So let the high holy days of Texas history continue. And you can just bet your backstrap that the Boyd Seafood Outdoor Cooking Show is going to celebrate with some barbecue. And Mexican food. Yeah, don't forget the Mexican food. (laughs) Thank you, El Presidente. If your barbecue's gone up in smoke and your cooking reputation is at stake, stick around. The Old Grill Sergeant will be right back with more ideas and advice to make your next cookout sizzle. Boyd's One Stop. The name says it all. If you like seafood, you'll love Boyd's. Conveniently located at the base of the Texas City Dyke. Boyd's One Stop has bait, tackle, fresh seafood, and even a restaurant all at 227 Dyke Road. If you fish Galveston Bay, Boyd's is the one and only stop for everything you need. There's a reason why they're called the live shrimp capital of Texas. But they've also got lots of finger mullet, croaker, plus fresh dead shrimp, shad, and squid. Plus, Boyd's has tackle galore, ice and ice chests, and cold drinks and snacks. Just need fresh fish for a family seafood feast? The freshest seafood, like table shrimp, live blue crab, and crawfish when in season, is in stock and ready for you at Boyd's. And if you're hungry right now, check out Boyd's Cajun Grill Express right next door. With a wide variety of breakfast, lunch, and dinner items like crawfish, oyster po'boys, and fried seafood platters. Boyd's One Stop, the name says it all, 227 Dyke Road at the base of the Texas City Dyke. It's Randy Hames again. Everybody needs a video or a new website or help in managing their social media, and my company, Edgewater Digital, can help. We help small businesses navigate the intimidating world of digital marketing. You've got a business to run, and you don't have time or expertise to build and maintain your website all by yourself, and you certainly don't have time to generate content for it. And when's the last time you had an extra hour or two to manage your company's internet ads or social media accounts? Like, never, right? Well, at Edgewater Digital, that's what we do. We have a talented web design team who've built a number of incredibly successful websites for companies large and small. Need content too? No problem. Edgewater can provide copywriting, photography, and videography services to enhance the content on your website, email marketing, or even social media. We're a full-service digital marketing solution with a track record of success. Call us today at 832-500-4272 or see our website edgewater-digital.com. Randy Hames here, proud to introduce you to Belleville Meat Market, just 15 minutes south of Hempstead and 15 minutes north of Sealy on Highway 36 in Belleville. My good friends Jared and Marcus Poffenberger operate Belleville Meat Market, an old-fashioned butcher shop with superior products and great customer service. There's always a butcher on site at Belleville Meat Market, and their new processing plant is right next door. Hunters, a computer tracking system will follow your venison, wild hog, or exotics through every step of the process to ensure you get your meat your way. At Belleville Meat Market, you can pick and choose the cuts of beef, pork, or chicken you want, and they feature 28 flavors of pecan smoked sausage. Plus, Belleville Meat Market only uses lean pork in their sausage, so you get more meat and less fat. Tailgaters, drop by on your way to the game and get just what you need to feed your crew. Belleville Meat Market, just 15 minutes south of Hempstead and 15 minutes north of Sealy on Highway 36 in Belleville. Visit BellevilleMeatMarket.com or call 979-865-5782. Hey guys, Randy Hames here to tell you about my good friend Rick Allspa at the original Allspa's Hardware and Boutique in Kingwood. I've known Rick for years, and he's one of the finest Christian men I've ever met, but he's also got a dynamite hardware store at 2720 Westlake Houston Parkway in Kingwood. The original Allspa's Hardware and Boutique has everything you'd expect to find in a top-of-the-line hardware store, but with the personal service that's missing from the big-box stores. The original Allspa's Hardware and Boutique has tools and automotive, lawn and garden, electrical and plumbing, paint and hardware, all under one roof. But Rick is also an avid backyard chef, so the original Allspa's Hardware and Boutique features a complete barbecue pit house. From gas to charcoal grills to fryers and steamers, they've got it all at the original Allspa's Hardware and Boutique. They even offer grill maintenance and repair. Visit their website, allspas.com, or just drop by and see for yourself. The original Allspas Hardware and Boutique at 2720 West Lake Houston Parkway in Kingwood. Life is simple. Eat, sleep, grill. This is the Boyd Seafood Outdoor Cooking Show. Boyd's One Stop is located at the base of the Texas City Dyke. Now, here's the grill father, Randy Hames. Whenever the high holy days of Texas history roll around, 
around, we always turn to our favorite historian, Nick Castleberg. How you doing, amigo? I'm good, amigo. How about yourself? <laughs> Nick affectionately calls everybody amigo. That's why I said that. How did that little tradition begin, anyway? Well, you know, I worked at the ranch for many, many years, as you well know. Um, but truth be told, the memory ain't what it used to be. So I, <laughs> I, 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 I'd meet a lot of folks that I hadn't seen in a few years, maybe catered their daughter's wedding or something, you know, real personal like that but when you do hundreds and even thousands of people you know over, over several year period names kind of slip to mind yeah you too huh <laughs> yeah yeah but you know there's that that personal connection with them i mean you cater their daughter's wedding so you don't want to let them know um so you go hey amigo how you doing you know it's, it's a term of endearment it's yeah it's it's a really traditional way especially on ranches of, of greeting people the term amigo is kind of like uh, in the service when we called each other brother, right? you know, it kind of carries that same, uh, levity of, of meaning and connection. So yeah, it was kind of a fusion between a bad memory and working <laughs> on the ranch. <laughs> now, for those of you who are new to the show or may not have heard one of his many appearances on the Boyd Seafood Outdoor Cooking Show, Nick was the head chef and cooking historian at a living historical park here in Texas for many years. <laughs> Now, we won't give them the satisfaction of mentioning their name because basically they treated Nick the same way my old radio station treated me. By that, I mean they fired both of us. <laughs> but that doesn't alter the fact that Nick is very well versed in the history of Texas. So we lean on him for info this time of year during the high holy days of Texas. So when did your love of Texas history actually begin, Nick? You know, probably from... The, the day my feet hit the turf here, um, getting off the plane at Intercontinental, I remember taxiing down the runway coming into town. And honestly, I mean, I, what I knew of Texas at that time was what I'd seen on the old Westerns. Yeah. And of course, that wasn't reality. That was Hollywood's version of, of, of what Texas was. But uh, so I'm looking out of Port Old, expecting cowboys and Indians riding around with a big green that guy in the background. Um, so I was, I was really disappointed, uh, which in later years served me well as I catered for a lot of events, uh, for, you know, here being in, a, in the energy corridor, a lot of folks from all over the world in the oil business um, who would arrive in, in Houston with that same kind of preconceived notion of, of what Texas was like. So once they found out um, that, you know, I, I'm a transplant, I'm a Texian as, as we call them, uh, wasn't actually born here. It, it gave us a, uh, a common ground. And then I would, you know, lay all my Texas history on them. And they were just, you know, as enthralled as I was, the more I dug into Texas history, you know, we were exposed to it in the fourth grade. Um, and the seventh grade. Yeah. And, and the seventh grade, but truly it probably wasn't until I'd say probably age 14 or 15 that I really started to, to delve into not only Texas history, but more important at that point, I was I was really starting to get into food and barbecuing and hooked up with a couple of old fellows that passed on a lot of the old skills to me. Um, just doing a lot of Dutch oven cooking and scouts, you know, so I was really, really um, into the primitive or the early, early days of Texas, say the pioneer era. Well, last week on the Boyd Seafood Outdoor Cooking Show, I pointed out some of the more uncomfortable facts about Texas history that that they didn't really teach us in school. Like number one fact is most Texans don't like to acknowledge this, but slavery played a big role in why Texas declared its independence from Mexico because slavery had been banned in Mexico, right? That's right. When you came to Texas to get your league of land, um, one of the stipulations, there were a few, uh, one being if you weren't Catholic, you had to convert to Catholicism. Yep. Um, you had to swear and refer that you were not a criminal wanted because uh, they didn't want criminals coming to, you know, into their territory. And I bet there were more than a few of those, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, looking to get out of town in a hurry, you come on down to Tejas and get you a land grant. Uh, but, of course, one of the other things that you had to um, give up was if you had slaves because slavery was illegal in Mexico at this time. So you could have indentured servants. 
<laughs> but you could you could not own slaves. Oh my! Uh, that was that was against law. Oh my! Well, I also noted that the Alamo looked a lot different during the siege than it looks today. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, as a matter of fact, was how did the defenders of the Alamo feed themselves? I mean, right. this is the Boyd Seafood Outdoor Cooking Show. That seems fairly germane to the conversation. Yeah. Well, you know, there was a well within the grounds. Um, unfortunately it did not provide enough water for 160 plus defenders. Yeah. Um, so they would send once after the 23rd, you know, once Santa Ana's marching in and, and they realize what's going on, they're, they're running out and getting as much as they can in gourds and clay pots and anything that would hold water from, from the local, um, aquifer there, um, knowing that their well had only a certain amount. Didn't take long for Santa Ana to figure out what was going on, and he pretty much cut him off from being able to go out at night and raid the aquifer. Um, so water was, uh, it was hit and miss. And of course, a lot of people don't know the temperatures at this time. Um, in 1836, you know, like on, on the 24th, it it, gobbled, it got it was like summer heat, and you know, in the 80s with 100% humidity, like we're used to. Wow. And then that that night, it got dang near down to freezing. So, um, the water was available, but in limited quantities, food, um, they went through their food stores that they had. And of course they didn't have really that much time to prepare. Um, but we know on, I believe it was the second, um, Travis got a report that there was a stash of corn over at Juan Seguin's ranch. Um, so he sent some guys over there, detachment over there to, to get that and bring it back. But, you know, like, like same when we talk about the Civil War, we talk about how well the Northern armies were provisioned as compared to the Southern armies. Yep. Um, the food stores were vastly different. I know some food historians that will use that as, a, as an argumentative point that if the South had been as well provisioned as the North, things might have turned out a little bit differently. Because, you know, as they say, the, the armies, armies fight on their stomachs, you know. Well, in regard to that, Nick, I've heard, I've read more than one uh, description of Santa Ana's march from Mexico City up to Texas, and that he outran his supply lines, and many of his men died along the way due to starvation and exposure. Is that true? Yeah. Yes, that is. That is true. Yes. Um, and, you know, Santa Ana was known not to be, he wasn't the nicest guy. <laughs> uh, not only... Uh, to the enemy, but also to his own troops. You know, um, years years later, once we released him after the trees of Alaska, when he went back down to Mexico, uh, there was actually an uprising trying to, to get rid of El Presidente at that point. Um, a lot of it was ex-officers. And so when we hear the description of the settlers, the Texians versus Santa Ana and the Republic of Mexico, that's not really accurate. There were a lot of Latinos who didn't like Santa Ana too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but you followed orders and you did what you did, you know. Um, and of course, you got to remember too that the, the Mexican army, as they traveled, a lot of the men that were married, they traveled with their women and children. Mm -hmm. um, they were part. They were part of the the train. So uh, they, you know, when you got your wife and you know you got some single guys that are the wives became the camp cooks um, for the Sedaldos uh, as they were marching, you know, from Mexico up into what eventually became uh, the siege at the Alamo, and then eventually all the way down, kind of hopscotching back and forth with. General Sam, uh, what eventually led up to, you know, the, the decisive battle at um, San Jacinto. And this is what Nick specialized in at that historical park that will not be named. <laughs> <laughs> it's the cooking history of Texas. And on March 11th, which was 185 years ago, day before yesterday, Sam Houston arrived in Gonzales to survey the damage of that battle, which took place before the Alamo. And that's when he was told about the fall of the Alamo. At that point in time, the runaway scrape had already begun for people in South Texas. They were trying to get out ahead of Santa Ana's army, of course. But at that point, on March 11th, when Sam Houston arrived in Gonzales, he officially advised everybody else in the state of Texas to hightail it to Louisiana. And that's when the runaway scrape took place. So that's what we want to talk about in the next segment. Can you stick around for another segment and talk about that? 
Oh, sure, I'd love to, Randy. Stay patient. Dinner will be ready right after the smoke alarm goes off. Randy will be right back with more smoking hot tips for you and your old plane right after this short break. Hey guys, Randy Hames here to tell you about my good friend Rick Allspa at the original Allspa's Hardware and Boutique in Kingwood. I've known Rick for years and he's one of the finest Christian men I've ever met, but he's also got a dynamite hardware store at 2720 Westlake Houston Parkway in Kingwood. The original Allspa's Hardware and Boutique has everything you'd expect to find in a top-of-the-line hardware store, but with the personal service that's missing from the big box stores. The original Allspa's Hardware and Boutique has tools and automotive, lawn and garden, a electrical and plumbing, paint and hardware, all under one roof. But Rick is also an avid backyard chef, so the original Allspa's Hardware and Boutique features a complete barbecue pit house. From gas to charcoal grills to fryers and steamers, they've got it all at the original Allspa's Hardware and Boutique. They even offer grill maintenance and repair. Visit their website, allspas.com, or just drop by and see for yourself. The original Allspas Hardware and Boutique at 2720 West Lake Houston Parkway in Kingwood. Boyd's One Stop. The name says it all. If you like seafood, you'll love Boyd's, conveniently located at the base of the Texas City Dyke. Boyd's One Stop has bait, tackle, fresh seafood, and even a restaurant, all at 227 Dyke Road. If you fish Galveston Bay, Boyd's is the one and only stop for everything you need. There's a reason why they're called the live shrimp capital of Texas. But they've also got lots of finger mullet, croaker, plus fresh dead shrimp, shad, and squid. Plus, Boyd's has tackle galore, ice and ice chests, and cold drinks and snacks. Just need fresh fish for a family seafood feast? The freshest seafood, like table shrimp, live blue crab, and crawfish when in season, is in stock and ready for you at Boyd's. And if you're hungry right now, check out Boyd's Cajun Grill Express right next door, with a wide variety variety of breakfast, lunch, and dinner items like crawfish, oyster po'boys, and fried seafood platters. Boyd's One Stop, the name says it all, 227 Dyke Road at the base of the Texas City Dyke. Hi friends, Randy Haynes to tell you about Cellular and Satellite. Cellular and Satellite are specialists in wireless data plans for businesses. Because they buy in large quantities, Cellular and Satellite can give you a data plan on the same provider you're using today, but at a lower cost. Cellular and Satellite can also combine the two largest wireless providers into a single data plan. Two carriers with better coverage, but only one invoice to pay. If your workforce is international, Cellular and Satellite offers a global data SIM with fixed pricing in over 200 countries. You'll never have to pay international roaming charges again with Cellular and Satellite. And they can handle all your wireless data needs whether you need 10 or 10,000 data SIMs. So if you're an IT professional, mobility manager, or business owner, save money and increase your network availability by letting Cellular and Satellite simplify your wireless life. Call Cellular and Satellite today, 832-551-1000, or go to CellularAndSatellite.com. Randy Hames here, proud to introduce you to Belleville Meat Market, just 15 minutes south of Hempstead and 15 minutes north of Sealy on Highway 36 in Belleville. My good friends Jared and Marcus Poffenberger operate Belleville Meat Market, an old-fashioned butcher shop with superior products and great customer service. There's always a butcher on site at Belleville Meat Market, and their new processing plant is right next door. Hunters, a complete computer tracking system will follow your venison, wild hog, or exotics through every step of the process to ensure you get your meat your way. At Belleville Meat Market, you can pick and choose the cuts of beef, pork, or chicken you want, and they feature 28 flavors of pecan smoked sausage. Plus, Belleville Meat Market only uses lean pork in their sausage, so you get more meat and less fat. Tailgaters, drop by on your way to the game and get just what you need to feed your crew. Belleville Meat Market, just 15 minutes south of Hempstead and 15 minutes north of Sealy on Highway 36 in Belleville. Visit BellevilleMeatMarket.com or call 979-865-5782. Stand back. We've got our grill on. This is the Boyd Seafood Outdoor Cooking Show. Boyd's One Stop is located at the base of the Texas City Dyke. Now, here's the grill father, Randy Hayes. Our go-to Texas history expert, Nick Castleberg, is our guest today. And we know we know you're anxious to take advantage of all this great weather and not get out there and go fishing. So we appreciate your extra time with us today, pal. My pleasure, my pleasure, as always. On this day, March 13th, in 1836, during the Texas Revolution, the runaway scrape was in full retreat. 
How did the Texians flee? Horseback? Wagon? On foot? All the above? What? All of, all of the above, Randy. You know, once word got out um, that the invading army, um, well, to them, it was an invading army. This was their home. Um, of course, the San Annie wasn't invading. It was their territory. But right. once word got out, um, and of course, you know, you didn't get a text on your cell phone back then. So <laughs> it was, it was, communication was sporadic. But as soon as people heard, first thing most folks did was took what valuables that they had, which weren't many, and went out. Um, somewhere around their property, dug as deep a hole as time would allow, buried it so that it would be safe um, for their hopeful return. Santa Ana knew this, and a lot of historians will teach you that as they went from homestead to homestead, you could see where the soil had been recently freshly dug. And Santa Ana ordered a lot of his cavalry and a lot of his cattle uh, under those areas to just basically run around in circles and stomp and you know people had porcelain and, and other breakable uh, items after we burned san felipe de austin during the runaway scrape one of the few things that were left as the mexican army came into san felipe were the cast iron dutch ovens and the skillets and stuff because they don't burn um very few intact pieces of cast iron have been found at any of the early homesteads that took part in the runaway scrape, um, simply because what was left behind was deliberately broken huh. uh, by the Mexican army. Or, as you just said, confiscated, I suppose. Right, right. Yeah, they knew that if you came back, you know, you, you don't have all your cooking pots and stuff. It's kind of hard for you to eat out of sustenance, so. Well, history books will tell us that Washington on the Brazos was deserted by March 17th, so most folks were pretty desperate by then, and some historians even claim that the Apaches and the Comanches took advantage of the moment, and that just added to the panic. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. There, were, there was, um, in the early years, the relationship between uh, the Anglo settlers and the, the local indigenous First Nation tribes wasn't too bad. Uh, but it didn't take long for us to start acting a fool (laughs) and kind of burn said bridges. So yeah, there was a certain level of animosity towards us. And of course, um, any chance you get a chance to poke your enemy in the eye with a stick, you're going to jump at it. So, so between Santa Ana's army and these roving bands of native American war tribes, they were pretty much looting and destroying the homesteads that had been left abandoned. So when a lot of these folks came back, there was nothing to come back to, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The scorched, scorched earth tactics were, were very popular. Um, it had been proven, you know, for, for centuries and centuries. Santa Ana was a very well studied student of warfare. Um, he was not just some, and they come lately general. So he, he had a, a pretty good understanding of how to wage war and what tactics worked and what tactics didn't. So anything you can do to deny your enemy access, accessibility to food, water, shelter, um, the things that not only are, are creature comforts, but also really can, can make or break you. And when the temperatures are getting down, you know, that year, um, it was a leap year. We had a 29th that year in February. Uh-huh. Um, but you had temperatures from near freezing all the way up to not full tropical Texas summer heat, but, you know, 85, close to 90 plus with 100% humidity. And you're, you're humping gear, say you're on foot out ahead of the... Uh, progressing Mexican army and you're heading over towards Louisiana, you know, you're humping through, there were a few roads. They weren't great. They were just dirt and best. Um, of course, roads, if you travel roads, uh, cavalry can travel down roads pretty quick. So you might get picked up by, a an outreach of Santa Ana's army a probe, if you will, coming down the roads on horseback. So a lot of folks, they shied away from the roads, um, and went cross country. Plus, some of the things about the runaway scrape that we really don't hear about in history classes include disease, exposure to the cold and rain, not to mention lack of food. Yeah. A lot of people died along the way in the runaway scrape, right? Yeah. Yeah. Especially those that weren't lucky enough to have an oxen and cart um, to put their old and sickly and weak. Um, You know, this, this was not a great trek for, you know, if you were... 70s or early 80s uh, maybe had a a little bit of uh consumption um going on 
your lungs weren't working proper. Um, it was a tough go. It was a tough go. They lost a lot of folks. These were truly desperate times, and many Texians who died uh, were quickly buried right there on the spot where they fell, and then the survivors just trudged on because they were afraid of being caught by Santa Ana or the Apaches or the Comanches. Talk about that for a minute. Well, you know, the old saying um, on, the, on the cowboys out on the, on the trail, trail, you know, on the prairies, you know, the, the biggest fear was dying out on the trail. Uh, because time was of the essence. The cattle had to get to market in a hurry. We didn't have a whole lot of time. So they typically just dug a shallow grave, which carcass in it covered it up. If you were lucky, um, they exhumed you on the way back and took you home to your family for a proper Christian burial. But that was the biggest fear uh, of most of the young boys out on trail in later years was dying out on the prairie. So you can imagine um, it would have been the same for the folks that were, were fleeing ahead of the the Mexican army, um, you know, if, if I die and, you know, and you, I know you don't have time to do a proper, you know, six foot down, um, grave. So, you know, I'm going to get stuck in this little shallow hole and, you know, hogs, a lot of folks don't know this hogs are omnivorous. They will eat meat, including human flesh, uh, coyotes. Um, there were still a few wolves in the area. I hear tell there were still a few bear in the area. We know for a fact there were still cats. Um, we've still got big cats down along the Brazos River bottoms. Uh, if you know anybody out toward Needville, um, down that neck of the woods, uh, there's big cats spotted every year down in the Brazos River bottoms out there. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, you don't go down along the river bottoms out there, but that's your 45 on your hip or your 12-gauge. So it, it might seem like, on the surface, that there wasn't a whole lot happening in the two- or three-week period between the fall of the Alamo and the Goliad Massacre, but in point of fact, nothing could be further from the truth because Texians were literally scrambling for their lives. They were in, in full evacuation mode trying to get to the Sabine River and the safety of Louisiana, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And get out as quick as you can. And um, some folks actually made it. Um, I've, I've got um, one of the families that I'm pretty familiar with, but their history from working out at that ranch. Um, they actually made it to just the other side of the battlefield and actually sat and watched the battle from a distance go down. Wow. Um, and, and their namesake at the time was, was not deathly ill, but he was sick and he was in the back of an ox cart and they propped him up with a pillow and they sat and watched, um, the battle. Of course, as soon as the battle was over, they knew, Oh, okay. It's, it's, and they turned around and started heading back over, um, towards the Brazos River bottoms, where they had their league of land given to them. Well, what did the Texians find or encounter when they got to Louisiana? Were they welcomed? Um, yeah, I, I think so. You know, we'd been doing some cattle business, uh, not much, because you know, in the in the thirties, we, we were still a very fledgling republic, um, if you will. But there were some entrepreneurs that, of course, had gone over um, taking some cattle. Um, and, of course, um, the, the nautical business coming out of New Orleans. Um, so we had, you know, some connections with the folks in Louisiana. It wasn't like, oh, these folks from, from the next state who we've never seen before are showing up over here expecting us to give them quarter, you know. Um, sure. We knew of each other, and so... I don't know that they rolled out the red carpet, so to speak, but <laughs> they, they definitely were uh, accommodating, let's put it that way. This has been our old friend and Texas history expert, Nick Castleberg, and we're going to call you back on the show in a few weeks and get your thoughts on the last couple of battles, Goliad, San Jacinto, and all of that in the Texas Revolution. Can you do that, Nick? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. All the best to you, amigo. We'll talk again in a couple of weeks. We'll look forward to it, amigo. You take care now. Life is short. Grill while you can. Randy will be right back with more food and fun after this break. Randy Hames here, proud to introduce you to Belleville Meat Market, just 15 minutes south of Hempstead and 15 minutes north of Sealy on Highway 36 in Belleville. My good friends Jared and Marcus Poffenberger operate Belleville Meat Market, an old-fashioned butcher shop with superior products and great customer service. There's always a butcher on site at Belleville Meat Market, and their new processing plant is right next door. Hunters, a computer tracking system will follow your venison, wild hog, or exotics through every step of the process to ensure you get your meat your way. 
At Belleville Meat Market, you can pick and choose the cuts of beef, pork, or chicken you want, and they feature 28 flavors of pecan smoked sausage. Plus, Belleville Meat Market only uses lean pork in their sausage, so you get more meat and less fat. Tailgaters, drop by on your way to the game and get just what you need to feed your crew. Belleville Meat Market, just 15 minutes south of Hempstead and 15 minutes north of Sealy on Highway 36 in Belleville. Visit BellevilleMeatMarket.com or call 979-865-5782. It's Randy Hames again. Everybody needs a video or a new website or help in managing their social media. And my company, Edgewater Digital, can help. We help small businesses navigate the intimidating world of digital marketing. You've got a business to run, and you don't have time or expertise to build and maintain your website all by yourself, and you certainly don't have time to generate content for it. And when's the last time you had an extra hour or two to manage your company's internet ads or social media accounts? Like, never, right? Well, at Edgewater Digital, that's what we do. We have a talented web design team who've built a number of incredibly successful websites for companies large and small. Need content too? No problem. Edgewater can provide copywriting, photography, and videography services to enhance the content on your website, email marketing, or even social media. We're a full-service digital marketing solution with a track record of success. Call us today at 832-500-4272 or see our website edgewater-digital.com. Hey guys, Randy Hames here to tell you about my good friend Rick Allspa at the original Allspa's Hardware and Boutique in Kingwood. I've known Rick for years, and he's one of the finest Christian men I've ever met, but he's also got a dynamite hardware store at 2720 West Lake Houston Parkway in Kingwood. The original Allspa's Hardware and Boutique has everything you'd expect to find in a top-of-the-line hardware store, but with the personal service that's missing from the big-box stores. The original Allspa's Hardware and Boutique has tools and automotive, lawn and garden, electrical and plumbing, paint and hardware, all under one roof. But Rick is also an avid backyard chef, so the original Allspa's Hardware and Boutique features a complete barbecue pit house. From gas to charcoal grills to fryers and steamers, they've got it all at the original Allspa's Hardware and Boutique. They even offer grill maintenance and repair. Visit their website, allspas.com, or just drop by and see for yourself. The original Allspas Hardware and Boutique at 2720 West Lake Houston Parkway in Kingwood. Boyd's One Stop. The name says it all. If you like seafood, you'll love Boyd's. Conveniently located at the base of the Texas City Dyke. Boyd's One Stop has bait, tackle, fresh seafood, and even a restaurant all at 227 Dyke Road. If you fish Galveston Bay, Boyd's is the one and only stop for everything you need. There's a reason why they're called the live shrimp capital of Texas. But they've also got lots of finger mullet, croaker, plus fresh dead shrimp, shad, and squid. Plus, Boyd's has tackle galore, ice and ice chests, and cold drinks and snacks. Just need fresh fish for a family seafood feast? The freshest seafood, like table shrimp, live blue crab, and crawfish when in season, is in stock and ready for you at Boyd's. And if you're hungry right now, check out Boyd's Cajun Grill Express right next door, with a wide variety of breakfast, lunch, and dinner items like crawfish, oyster po'boys, and fried seafood platters. Boyd's One Stop, the name says it all, 227 Dyke Road at the base of the Texas City Dyke. May the forks be with you. This is the Boyd's Seafood Outdoor Cooking Show. Boyd's One Stop is located at the base of the Texas City Dyke. Now here's the guy who turns all the grills on, Randy Hames. And we'll wrap up the show today, as we always do, a visit from a guy with whom I have a lot of history. That would be Fred Olson, my old H&H show partner from back in the day on the radio. How you doing there, old-timer? Boy, I'm doing, I'm doing just fine. You know, I was sitting in the dentist chair getting the cleaning the other day, and they had this 70s music playing. And I, I, every one of them that came up, i go, I remember playing that. I remember playing that. <laughs> Yeah. Remember, I was in Dallas when that was a hit, and I didn't like it then. <laughs> I didn't like having to play it on a <laughs> Well, yeah, our, our history goes all the way back to 1974, radio station in Dallas. And alluding to your closing comments from last week's show, the days when we got away with a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't really criminals or anything, but we certainly did some things that were frowned upon at least and we don't have to get specific <laughs> no but you think about even what we did on the air nowadays they would we would be in in, in the front office again oh yeah uh, ex- explaining ourselves so <laughs> we had that little niche in time when when we were able to have a lot of fun and uh nobody got upset 
and nowadays everybody's upset. So, <laughs> yeah. but we don't need to go there. There's enough of that on the evening news, which I don't watch anymore anyway. So. Yeah, I don't either. But our radio history goes back more than 45 years, friend, and that includes the 30 continuous years on the Hudson and Harrigan show together. But you were on the show even longer than that. A lot of uh, longtime Houstonians might even remember the guy you were on the air with before me, Tommy Kramer, who didn't use that name on the air. Yeah. Which one was he? Was he Hudson or was he Harrigan? He was, uh, I became Hudson when you came on board. Let's see. I have to go back to this now. <laughs> now we're getting confused. <laughs> uh, I, no, I was actually originally, I was originally Harrigan. Yes, so that meant Tommy was Hudson. Yeah, uh, yeah, believe, yeah. Then, then you came along and they said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's just let's just <laughs> get this switched around." And, but actually, at one time when, when Tommy was really sick, most people don't know this, but I was Hudson and Harrigan. I was both. Uh, Tommy was really sick at home, so I, I did the show solo. And I, I after that, I thought I am going to lose my mind. <laughs> it was so it was so complicated to have the characters taped or try to do them live yeah and to pull that off without a straight man without you or you know someone like you <laughs> and uh, it was it, it, you know after a few weeks of that i said I, I, i'm just whoa yeah i just want to go home <laughs> so as i point out in my book houston's morning show the true story of hudson and harrigan available wherever fine books are sold as i, as I point out in my book you hold the unique distinction of actually having been both Hudson and Harrigan during your years on the show, right? So I could have my own reunion with just me. <laughs> you know, that's a really cool point of history about the show, and it brings up that question that I get asked all the time. Were you Hudson or were you Harrigan? And you can just say, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like to be the Hudson just, you know, Harrigan, you look more Irish than I do. Uh, well, I used to anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, that red hair was definitely a giveaway. And that red hair is definitely gone away. <laughs> but as a matter of fact, there's a lot of history behind Hudson and Harrigan. And I've tried to recount it as much as possible in my book, Houston's Morning Show, The True Story of Hudson and Harrigan, available wherever fine books are sold. <laughs> uh, for one thing, some of the most talented people in Texas radio history yes. have been either Hudson or Harrigan along the way, but nobody was both except you. The original Hudson and Harrigan were uh, Hudson Roach, which is as close to a real Hudson or Harrigan as we ever got. <laughs> yeah. And Paul Menard, who was originally Irv Harrigan in Dallas on the Charlie and Harrigan show before he came to Houston. And they were brilliant. They were just absolutely brilliant. I remember the first time I heard a tape of them, I went, wow, if only. And then as fate put it, I, get, I ended up doing that show with you and, uh, yeah, they were they were just brilliant guys. Just funny. I don't know if they got. Did they get along? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> but then, no, I'm, not, I'm trying to you know because a lot of team shows they don't get along. I know people who yeah. who have done that show in the past who didn't like each other, and there were supremely talented people who came in and who, who did the show who didn't get along. And and uh, imagine each day working trying to be you know uh, doing a comedy show and play music with somebody you don't like. You, it, it would just be, it'd be hell on earth is what it'd be. Yeah. yeah. Well, from what I understand from Bill Young, the guy who hired all the Hudsons and Harrigans, uh, Hudson Roach was, uh, he was just a difficult guy to get along with in general, not just for Paul Menard, but for just everybody around him. And oddly enough, those two guys were only around a few years at the very beginning. And then they went on to illustrious careers in San Diego. But interestingly enough, they never worked together again. Huh. I also heard there was one guy who used to drink on the air back in the day. Oh. I'd heard tales. I can't remember which one it was, and we don't need to bring up names. But <laughs> yeah. there's one guy, you know, in the middle of the, of the morning show, would just take a big old pull of something. Okay. And <laughs> just keep going. And I went, wow, I, can, I couldn't imagine that. <laughs> it's hard to stay focused anyway with it. But we just had a, and I, I thank God every day that I had the opportunity to work with you and do that show for those many years. And it just was, it went by so fast. It did. It really did. It was pretty quick. And then, of course, there were Mark Stevens and Jim Pruitt, who were actually Mark Hudson and Irv Harrigan. They were about three years. And, of course, then they went on to um, a much more successful run together as Stevens and Pruitt. Yeah. First on another AM station here in Houston. Then they went to an FM station in Dallas. Then they finally came back here to an album rock station. 
And after Mark and Jimmy left, that's when you and Tommy did the show together for about a year, right? Yeah, we did it for a while, and he, he got sick, and he went back to Shreveport, and then after being in limbo for a while, you showed up, and it was awesome. It was awesome. Well, so. I remember when you and Tommy were together on the show, you did a bunch of really cool bits. One was called Blazing Cattle. Yes, yeah, so the Blazing Cattle. We did things that were current. Instead of Star Trek, there was a thing called Starfake. Yes. You know, one-minute vignettes that we would pre-produce and put on, and, and they were just... And wasn't there a soap opera called Change of Life? Yes, there was. It's time once again for, and all these coins would fall on the counter, <laughs> Change <laughs> of Life. <laughs> I've forgotten about that. Yeah, I, I look back on that now. And Herbert H. Hebert and Jim Bob jump back going at each other all the time. Redneck. And I did a squirrel. I had a character, Gaddafi Duck. Oh, yeah. I dare you. Cross this line. All right. Cross this line. You know. You were channeling Saddam Hussein before Saddam Hussein was Saddam Hussein. Well, it was, it was Muammar Gaddafi. It was Gaddafi Duck, <laughs> ruler of the world, you know. And, and, of course, now they would go, you know, that is cultural appropriation. You can't do that. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> and then Tommy was, and still is, I guess, an accomplished a singer and a songwriter and a guitarist, and he introduced an imaginary rock star named Dylan Fleetwood. Remember that? I remember it was kind of Bob Dylan and Fleetwood Mac, and he also had he come on and sing. Uh, remember Angela Fields who played for the Cowboys? Oh yes, yeah, big Angela. He go, he sang Angela Fields forever. <laughs> Angela Fields forever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, it was fun because back then you could do that. Now, if we were doing now, what we were doing then, two things could happen. We would be roundly criticized, but we could possibly also be wildly successful. You just don't know anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and history has been the subject matter of today's edition of the Boyd Seafood Outdoor Cooking Show, but we've made some noteworthy history even on this show we'll celebrate five years on the boyd seafood outdoor cooking show this summer did you know that really really yes as our old friend and colleague bo weaver who was also yeah on the hudson harrigan show for about 20 minutes as he used to say <laughs> bo weaver would always say my how time flies when you don't know what you're doing remember that ain't that the truth <laughs> i do remember that speaking of boyds man it's it's crawfish season's coming everybody yeah it's coming yeah. Big time. It sure is. And we've spent most of today not talking about food, but rather talking about Texas history because it's the high holy days of Texas history. We talked about that a lot on the show, on the H&H &H show. As a matter of fact, I talk about us talking about that a lot in my book, uh, Houston's Morning Show, The True Story of Hudson and Harrigan, available where fine books are sold. I need to stop that, don't I? I, I remember uh, <laughs> Jim Bob reading Travis's letter, and it was hard to get through it. It was so emotional. And I wasn't even from Texas, and I started reading, and I go, why am I tearing up? And it was because it's just so a profound letter. And it was it, March? Yeah, it's this, that's right, this month, Alamo. Well, it was just last Saturday, as a matter of fact. That's right. If you haven't read Travis's letter, just bust it out on the Internet and, and read through that. And take a look at what bravery is. It's pretty amazing. Speaking of history, this edition of the Boyd Seafood Outdoor Cooking Show is history, and that might even show up in my next book. You, you really need to, to stop that. <laughs> yes, I do, don't I? We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Boyd Seafood Outdoor Cooking Show. Send us your burning questions and favorite recipes in a private message on our Facebook page, The Outdoor Cooking Show, or visit our website, theoutdoorcookingshow.com. Join us next week for more tasty food and fun over a red-hot grill on the Boyd Seafood Outdoor Cooking Show. How's about cooking something up with me?